Morning, everybody, um, and good afternoon, everybody. In fact, um, uh, welcome to Brain Food Live on air. Um, it is episode two two three, bringing it to you every Friday, no fail. Even though the head is not feeling too clever this morning, um, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, folks, um, where it's actually only nine o'clock this morning. Um, after um, a couple of nights on the bevies, um, it's, it's really quite a challenge to continue this show, I have to say. Uh, but anyway, I am here with you today um, and delighted to be uh, yeah, with you. I know we're also doing this kind of one hour later than usual. Um, so people who are expecting to see this show an hour earlier, uh, the reason why we kind of push back uh, by one hour was just to give us a bit of grace, basically, um, and to make sure that we uh, were at least able to run the show. Anyway, what can I tell you? Um, uh, really happy to have you on here. There's going to be like mega attrition with regards to the people who uh, we were hoping to bring onto the screen. Um, Maren Hogan is going to join us, of course. Um, as co-host, but she, I know, was out last night, um, and I don't think she's made it. Um, anyway, uh, we can continue with just me flying solo. Mara might join us later if she's able to, um, and uh, we'll get cracking with this uh, with this show. Anyway, um, I'm obviously in a new location, um, so I just want to check whether everyone can hear me okay. Um, uh, let me know in the comments whether the audio is fine. Um, I believe I am using the right mic um and i'm using the right earphones as well um we should be blasting this out also on linkedin uh so folks if you're watching this on my linkedin or anybody else's linkedin let me know in the in the comment threads there i actually can see myself live there which is great um and it looks like we can uh we can uh hear everything okay okay fantastic Right. Um, uh, let's uh, firstly thank our sponsors, everybody. Um, uh, thank you very much, Gavin. This is not Sean Connery. <laughs> this is literally too many drinks last night um, and, and the old cigar smoke, I have to say. Um, anyway, um, uh, let's thank our sponsors. We always have to do this every week um, because without our sponsors supporting Brain Food Live, we cannot bring this conversation to you. Um, and today's sponsor is, of course, Marin's company. <laughs> it's Red Branch Media. Um, if you are looking for a a partner uh, to help activate your brand in the HR tech space. Uh, there probably isn't a better company anywhere uh, that's able to do that other than Red Branch Media. This is a boutique specialist um, uh, communications agency from people who genuinely know the recruitment and recruitment technology space because they, they were in it. Um, so um, if you do uh, need to have your brand activated, generate more leads, build more brand presence, um, then Red Branch uh, Media is a business you should check out. Redbranch.com, uh, I think, or redbranchmedia.com. Anyway, um, let's get on with the show. Today, uh, we are actually got a, a really interesting angle um, that I wanted to explore, given the fact that actually um, I'm, of course, in the US right now and in Tennessee. Um, uh, uh, this is uh, uh, a, a topic we're calling when politics and employer branding collide. Um, and the premise is simply this, um, EB is great. Um, uh, you know, we need to do that as recruiters, but sometimes wider, uh, sort of wider factors outside of our immediate control might actually impact the quality of our brand and whether um, you know, we're able to be as attractive uh, to the people we want to, to recruit um, uh, than we did before. Um, in specific context, we're talking about the changes 
in uh, abortion rights in the US, um, where a legal case uh, occurred earlier this year, uh, which basically relegated the right, uh, the, the sort of women's abortion rights from the state level, so something that basically every woman uh, federally would have uh, a set of rights for, um, that has now been shifted down to state governance. So the individual states can basically start varying um, uh, what these rights may be based on their local conditions. Um, what this means, of course, um, is that women suddenly might find themselves in a position where they're working for an employer and feel as if their rights are being diminished. Um, and if you speak to any woman uh, in uh, the US, uh, it seems that this is a very powerful um, uh, disincentive uh, for people to uh, either apply for jobs in certain states um, or potentially uh, you know, continue working for a company uh, that is physically, where the job's physically located in a place where women no longer feel as if they have the same rights or even feel unsafe. Um, so uh, today we're going to explore that, the impact of politics and you know, these big cultural changes to employer branding. Um, we have some wonderful research um, that's recently just come out uh, from our first panelist, uh, Pavel Adrian from Indeed. Um, and basically, it's, uh, it's, it's research to have a look at whether these laws or these changes of these laws have actually impacted women's job seeking behavior. Um, so this would be very interesting for us to go through. And we're also going to bring in, uh, of course, to panel um, a lot of our friends in uh, the US um, who feel that they've commentary to make on that. So that is the topic of the show. If you're interested in this, um, thanks for joining and watching. Uh, please do spread the word if you think other people might be interested in this topic of conversation. Uh, okay, um, let's get on with it straight away. Um, I think Pavel is with us, so let me see whether I can bring him onto the show. Um, give me one sec, Pavel. I will find you in a bit. Um, okay, by the way, folks, whilst I'm trying to find Pavel, can you uh, have a look at the poll on the right-hand sidebar? Uh, of your screen and uh, check out the questions there um, and and get, give uh, give us a vote on what your opinions are in there. That'd be that'd be awesome. Okay, um, Pavel, getting invited on, uh, and for the rest of the panelists, we'll bring you on once we've gone through some of this research and had a little bit of a look to see whether there's um, you know any um, evidence um, that uh, these legal changes have in fact impacted job seeker behaviour. Um, cool, cool. I hear Pavel, I think. Um, there he is. Hello. Pavel, good to see you. Um, and they're definitely new spectacles, aren't they? Um, <laughs> I've never seen them, them before. They look great on you. They are. It's uh, it's their debut on Brain Food Live today. Incredible, folks. Uh, don't we give you a treat? Um, okay, Pavel, for the folks who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Uh, sure, my name is Pavel Adrian, and I am the head of research for Europe and Asia at the Indeed Hiring Lab, which is Indeed's economic research arm. And uh, my team and I do uh, all kinds of research on trends in the labor market globally, short-term, long-term trends. And uh, one of our recent projects was this uh, piece of research about the Dobbs versus Jackson decision in the US about abortion rights. So really looking forward to talking about it. And uh, thanks, Hung, for having me on. No, very, very pleased to have you on, Pavel. I've just shared Pavel's link on LinkedIn for anyone who wants to connect with Pavel. Um, and of course, I, I need to give a shout out to um, the uh, Hiring Labs website. 
Um, it really has been an excellent resource. All of us who are listening to this should really uh, uh, find a way to, to keep in touch with this. It's basically um, indeed sharing their insights and data from uh, job seeker and employer behavior on their platform. Um, and of course, um, this is the uh, this is a uh, uh, anybody who's interested in these wider sort of environments uh, about how job seekers and recruiters are behaving uh, should pay attention to that. Really fantastic. Okay, Pavel, let's talk about this research. Um, can you describe for us what uh, what the methodology was? Like how did you collect this? Um, and you know what the scale of it uh, was in particular. Sure. Uh, so uh, basically what we wanted to study was the labor market impact of the Dobbs versus Jackson decision, which, as you described at the beginning, uh, revoked Roe versus Wade and, and took the constitutional federal rights to abortion um, away in the United States and gave that back to individual states. Um, at, at the time, uh, several states, uh, I think 11, if I remember correctly, had so-called trigger laws. So basically they had laws on the books which said, as soon as this federal right goes away, we're going to ban or severely restrict abortion rights. And many other states uh, had, you know, didn't have such laws, but had plans to restrict uh, access to abortion as well over time. And what happened is that immediately after this court ruling, uh, several hundred firms, uh, mainly large firms, but really firms of uh, all sizes, announced extra benefits for female employees. Um, and specifically, most of that included uh, paying for abortion-related travel to another state. So if, say, you were living in Texas and you wanted to get an abortion or needed to get an abortion, because it's not really only about elective abortions, it's also about emergency care and, and other forms of reproductive health care, your companies or its insurance would pay for you to travel to another state uh, for that procedure. Uh, those announcements were very public. They were all over social media. They were on LinkedIn. Companies issued press releases uh, that was captured by national and local press. And what we did is we compared job seeker interest and job uh, and employees job satisfaction at those firms that made those announcements to similar firms that did not. Um, and the way we defined similar firms was by uh, looking at what companies um, job seekers in the US consider to be similar. So for example, if someone clicks on uh, Google jobs in their search, what other companies do they click on that didn't make such announcements? And, and um, we consider those to be comparable from a job search perspective. And we found uh, really interestingly that uh, companies that made these public announcements of abortion related benefits um, saw an increase in clicks uh, of about 8% compared to companies that did not announce. And that's a pretty big impact because it's the type of increase in job seeker clicks that we would normally see associated with a 12% increase in the wage. So, uh, so it's pretty substantial. But uh, so, so I guess you know what we what we conclude from that is that there is potentially a boost to recruitment from engaging um, this way in in this controversial political social issue. Um, but we also found that on average, uh, job satisfaction ratings uh, at those companies also dropped by eight percent. So we see this kind of boost to job seeker interest, but a reduction in company ratings. And that reduction in uh, company ratings, uh, which we took from Glassdoor, 
um, was mainly concentrated in male-dominated uh, jobs. Uh, so it seems like uh, the way we interpret this, this picture is that, okay, companies decided to engage uh, in, in this issue in a very public way. Uh, it helped them attract job seekers. And we find that that uh, job seeker attraction boost was most visible actually in democratic-leaning states. So states where people would tend to be more politically aligned with companies giving uh, such a benefit. Uh, but at the same time, we see that it seems like men, male workers, basically didn't like this very much as expressed through the job satisfaction rating. So there's a bit of a trade-off here that companies uh, really need to be aware of, a, a, you know, potentially a boost to recruiting people who think in a similar way as, as the company and its management, but potentially making some people uh, unhappy. And so I think this opens up a discussion really about you know how companies should deal with that trade-off that is absolutely fascinating um uh, I, I mean folks um i think uh, pavel has shared the link to the research into the chat stream so please go avail yourself to that research i think this is just a fascinating phenomena um and as i understand what you've said there um uh, pavel basically the companies that uh conspicuously um, commented on, on, on this issue and responded to this issue to support their female workers and also to, um, I guess, signal to the open market that they were, they, they were, they were, they were supporting uh, women in general, received a application boost um, from, we presume, I mean, we can't tell the gender of the people applying, can we? Um, but, we but they received an application boost, uh, but there was a simultaneous reduction of existing employee satisfaction for companies who did this and that the, the, the contribution of that was actually from the, ma the male employees that is absolutely fascinating um and and it's hard not to kind of just immediately jump to some 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 probably overly broad generalizations on this but it's hard to not make those conclusions isn't it pavel where you can say yes women have responded positively but men have responded negatively uh, and what does that mean for companies? I mean, are we heading down the road of having a gendered, like a gendered company based on, on values? Is, is that where, you know, US culture currently is? What are your thoughts on that, Pavel, if you want to speculate? Yeah, I mean, these are all uh, great questions. Um, I think the way we interpreted the results, and, and by the way, I, I didn't mention um, that you see it in the link that this is joint research with uh, five economists from the US, uh, Emily Nix from uh, the University of Southern California, Evan Starr from Maryland, Jason Sokin from Izate, and my colleagues, uh, Svenja Gadell and Alison Srivastava from Indeed. So uh, I should definitely um, also mention mention them because we we all worked on this together. Uh, but the way we interpret the, interpreted the results is that there seems to be both a gender divide and a political divide in these results. So yes, along the gender lines, it seems like men, at least some men, responded negatively to this benefit, which obviously only directly benefits some some of the women uh, at the firm. Um, though, of course, you know, some men will also care about this type of benefit because it might affect their female partners. Um, but there's also a, a potentially a political divide. So basically, 
uh, we saw that the biggest positive response from job seekers really in uh, Democrat-leaning states, which actually weren't that affected by this court ruling, because those tend to be the states where abortion access uh, is much more protected than, than you know, in the Republican-leaning um, states. So the way we interpret that is that really this kind of uh, announcement um, is to a large extent a statement of company culture. Uh, it could be a statement uh, saying that the business you know, protects its female employees regardless of where they are, or perhaps that you know it's uh, the management of the company has certain beliefs. Um, and but just given that you know very few employees would actually be expected to draw on this benefit, we we really interpret it as as that broader kind of statement, and that's perhaps why we see this kind of uh, reaction along both political and gender lines. Yeah, it is fascinating, and it kind of correlates as well with some of the um, like uh, research that we do know that we, for diversity and equity and inclusion type of uh, sort of training exercises. They often do a, a kind of a post uh, delivery of the training, some sort of uh, um, uh, uh, survey for the for the workers who have gone through it. And there is, again, a gender divide um, and often an ethnicity divide also um, between people who, you know, reported it was valuable compared to people who thought it was a waste of time. And again, that splits along, you know, some of the the, the lines that we, we kind of struggle to make conclusions on. But it's, in, it's, in, it's impossible not to draw the conclusion that essentially, you know, men feel differently to DE&I um, and white men in particular com compared to women and, uh, you know, uh, ethnic minorities as well. So... Yeah, I think uh, that's a possibility. Yeah, so it could be that men are unhappy because they're unhappy with DEI uh, initiatives in general, on average, or it could be that they were unhappy because it was a benefit specifically targeted at women and, and the male employees were saying, okay, so women get this potentially valuable benefit, what do I get? Um, or it could be just that um, you know men kind of tend to not not agree with uh, with these kinds of actions from a political or social perspective. Uh, but one thing, one other thing which we found in the research which was really interesting was when we looked at wages, and we found that uh, advertised salaries at the companies that announced these abortion travel benefits actually went up on average four percent compared to companies that didn't announce these benefits. And we found that surprising because we thought, okay, so you know, if companies get a boost in terms of job seekers, why would they raise wages? They could actually probably lower wages and still get the candidates they want. But we found that those wage increases were specifically concentrated among those companies that experienced the worst declines in job satisfaction ratings from the current employees. So in a way, it could be that, uh, you know, there was a multi-stage process. Companies made announcements. They saw the reaction from the current employees and from job seekers. And when they realized that maybe, you know, some of their current workers were not happy, uh, they actually increased uh, pay to, to compensate. Um, so uh, I think, you know, the lesson for companies there is definitely, as you say, uh, Hung, you know, you really need to understand how your current employees are feeling about engagement in, in any kind of controversial social or po political issues. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't make those statements and that you shouldn't engage, you know, companies and their management do still want to do the right thing. They want to care about their employees. Uh, they want to make a statement to the world about company culture, but they just need to think about uh, the impact on different parts of the workforce and uh, you know, see what actions 
they may want to take. And that could be training, it could be you know, better explanations uh, of their actions and so forth. This is so fascinating because um, you, you know, obviously we have an ethical uh, uh, challenge here and that's going to be the center of all, of, uh, rightly so, the center of any debate on this issue. Um, uh, but we, we also have our recruiters as well. So you, know, we, you might find yourself in a situation where suddenly you have to make uh, different types of calculations for the needs of your job. So for instance, does your employer suddenly become less attractive because it's located in a certain uh, a geographical space where the legal environments change and have they potentially you know damaged quote unquote their employer reputation to a particular demographic by their by their action of the failure to act um so these are things that obviously uh, recruiters need to feed in their expertise and um, when companies make these decisions but also have you know mitigation strategies to, to, to uh, you know uh, continue delivering value to, uh, to back to their business if they want to continue persisting with that company of course um given you know potential reputation da reputational damage so um so yeah really difficult uh, for us to, to have a think through but why don't we go ahead and bring some of our guests onto the show um and and get their view on it by the way folks we're not going to bring on like legal experts or anything like that i mean we know what the laws are what we want to do though is to bring on uh onto the screen uh people who are in recruiting people who are in charge of recruiting people who may be job candidates um and get their view as to uh as to how uh, this has impacted uh, our situation uh, oh by the way my, my phone has been blowing up because Marin is now excusing herself by saying yeah her internet doesn't work of course the internet doesn't work um and also susanna saying the same guess what both of those guys were out on the town last night as well um anyway um let's uh, let's bring on Brittany. um and um i think mary Kay and erin here as well so let's uh, roll with those wonderful people um let me see if i can do this properly um, by the way, if you are listening to this, uh, some really interesting comments um, on the uh, chat thread there, and that's educational for people who, of course, are not um, a US, uh, well versed in US history, which is, you know, I guess it's me and Pavel really. Um, so thank you so much for uh, educating us on some of the, the wider context um, as to uh, what these issues are. Um, and by the way, you know, I, I know a lot of our international viewers might uh, kind of look at this as somewhat, somewhat of an archaic uh, type of situation. Um, uh, uh, you know, quite, quite surprised and amazed that this might be happening in, in the US. Um, uh, but let's not forget that abortion rights are not something that is, um, you know, easily won or hasn't been easily won. Um, uh, there have been many situations in different societies, different countries where these rights had to be fought for. Um, uh, so it's not one of these where you can you know, look uh, with a supercilious attitude um, to, uh, to to the US. Um, okay, I think. So. Go ahead, Pavel. You about to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, I myself am not based in the, in the US. But there are there are tons of other issues which are could divide the workforce and candidates along similar lines. Uh, for instance, in Europe. We have the languages issue of uh, so in gendered languages like French or German or Spanish, uh, that tends to be uh, a controversial issue that also uh, has opinions divided across gender and political lines. Uh, also, you know there are many countries, for instance, discriminate uh, against LGBT people, where you know governments take a stance and businesses. Uh, Take the opposite stance. So I think this is uh, obviously just a U.S. example, but the issues that it relates to, I think, are relevant all over the world. That's right, um, Pavel. Unfortunately, I think there was some 
really bad audio feedback just when you're talking but i think we got the message um but uh, which is which is really important um you know this this is this is just a, a case of societal change um and every country that sort of makes rulings of this type can be exposed and find themselves in a similar situation where recruiters suddenly have to do something different anyway um we've got um a weird situation here where i'm not happy to see that um there seems to be an overlap oh there she is um, everyone's on. Amazing. Great to see everybody here. Um, welcome to the show, everybody. Um, why don't we just do some quick intros? Um, so, Erin, you appeared on screen first, so can you quickly, wonderful to see you. Um, can you quickly introduce yourself, who are you, what it is you do, Erin? Uh, yeah, I'm Erin uh, Matthew. I am a senior talent sourcer at PayPal. And I really should have just bit the bullet and gone to breakfast. I maybe could have kept you all in order so that everybody would be on screen right now, you know. At these conferences, I tend to be a bit of a babysitter sometimes for people that are having too many drinks. But you know, <laughs> next year <laughs> we might have to hire you as as, as like a, a secu security or a chaperone yeah. for some of these some of yeah. these retrobates. I've got a guideline for conferences: it's don't be the story. So <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely right. <laughs> great to see you, Aaron, and uh, we have Mary Kay here as well. Mary Kay, great to see you. Can you quickly introduce yourself? Sure. You, what it is you do? Hello, uh, I'm Mary Kay Baldino. I lead talent acquisition for R1 RCM. We're a um, tech and outsourcing company in the healthcare space. Great to see you. I'm just going to share your link to in right here. Um, and Brittany, wonderful to see you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Sure. So I am the CEO of Curated Corporate. So we advise executives, DEI teams, and recruiting teams on how to mitigate uh, compliance risk and increase inclusive hiring through DEI-driven training. Most recently, um, I was the senior manager of talent acquisition, talent intelligence, and diversity for Craft Times. Great stuff. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Um, so let's dive into this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, my throat is not, uh, it's just starting to, to bail out on me here. Um, so actually, I, I want to go to you first, Mary Kay, because in fact, um, uh, it was a dialogue that you and I had um, that actually stimulated uh, um, sort of, uh, for me, at least, the need to have this conversation, which of course was, you know, the location of Wreckfest. Um, we, we're doing this in, 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 in Tennessee. Um, and I believe believe that Tennessee was one of those states that, you know, is a trigger state, so to speak. Um, and that actually caused you to think about whether you'd want to participate even at an event like this. Uh, and mm -hmm. that, that, again, kind of found that quite of a, uh, a shocking revelation. Um, and it was like, okay, this is obviously something that has affected people in a very significant way. Uh, can you give us a little bit of your own sort of thoughts around this in terms of your career progression, what jobs look like in states that are affected this way and you know how does that make you feel um when you either travel to these places or you know look at job opportunities career opportunities sure um i think i'm on a personal level you know in a really privileged position i'm white i'm older i'm past my you know primed childbearing years um i'm i'm you know heterosexual but I have a lot of people in my life that I that I love and I um, care about and um, who don't carry that same kind of privilege. And um, that includes, you know, staff members who report to me and it includes friends and family. And so when I think about, um, you know, where I'm putting my business and where I'm putting my own personal energy, I do consider things like, well, where is this event being held? Does this organization 
um, profess to support diversity, equity, and inclusion? And are they demonstrating that in multiple ways? I mean, I look at things like, are they supporting, um, you know, vendors who don't have the right stance on, on some of these issues? Are they being inclusive of people with disabilities in terms of how the venue is set up and things like that? Um, and so part of what I am trying to do is be kind of a conscientious consumer of conferences and organizations and um, and even in terms of, you know, where I spend my kind of household dollars. Um, it's small ways of looking at things, um, but I think it's, it's really important. And it would 100% affect, you know, things like, you know, what kind of employer I would work for. That's really, I mean, I think that's, I, I was a very clear um, um, uh, description of the position. So I hope everyone kind of understands that. Um, so essentially what you're saying, Mary Kay, is that at every level of decision making you make as a professional, as a person uh, in personal life or professional life, this will affect whether you want to, um, you know, engage even with some of these, let's say, companies or individuals or whatnot that happen to be um, uh, located in these spaces and not demonstrating the sort of uh, commitment to the values that you hold uh, most important. Um, that would you say, Mary Kay, that this is a common um, position? Um, or do you think this is, uh, a, you know, a fairly uh, rare position as far as, uh, you yeah. know, um, those commitments are? Um, I'm not sure that it's a super common position. I think that, um, you know, many of the people who are uh, in, you know, positions of power to make decisions about, you know, things like, um, you know, where um, a conference is going to be held, for example, um, are people with a lot of privilege who may not um, be consciously thinking about, um, am I considering putting this uh, conference, for example, in a location where um, somebody who is transgender will not feel welcome? Um, someone who has suffered um, trauma from gun violence might not feel welcome due to the open carry laws, um, you know, or permitless carry kinds of things. Uh, or Am I, am I jeopardizing the health potentially of, you know, pregnant employees at my company? So, you know, it, these are these are the things I think about. But do I think they're really common? I, I'm not sure that they are. Yeah, very, very interesting. Thank you very much, Mary Kay. Erin, um, um, let's go to you on, on this uh, idea, taking it from a kind of a recruiting perspective. Um, uh, the Especially for a company, let's say, size, scale of PayPal, um, where you know you can imagine jobs being distributed everywhere in the US, of course, um, in different locations, different offices. Um, how did um, the the company kind of handle um, uh, sort of this uh, legal situation? Did it sort of do anything? Um, and and what what are your general thoughts as to how companies should behave um, if uh, you know they find themselves in a situation where perhaps they'd be called upon to make a, a, some sort of stand or some sort of uh, policy change? Yeah, so there was uh, there were several press releases um, where PayPal did express support for women that would need travel expenses in order to receive um, abortion health care if they were possibly in a state that had trigger laws that effectively banned abortion um, after as early as uh, six weeks in some states. And um, I think that's that's great that a lot of companies did that. Um, but really, there's a whole lot more under the surface that needs to be addressed um, 
in terms of employers generally in the United States. Um, it's not even just the focus on elective abortions. The, this widely affects very many wanted pregnancies as well. Um, and let's be honest, in the U.S., we are still one of the only countries um, in the developed world that does not have mandated maternity leave if you choose to go through with a pregnancy. And a lot of employers still don't offer paid leave either. Um, when I had my son, you know, a year and a half ago, I had the great privilege of being able to stay home with him for the first four months, fully paid by my employer. But knowing what I went through during those four months, it absolutely breaks my heart that some women have to choose to go back maybe like two weeks after delivery. I, I would not have been ready. I would not have been okay if I had to do that. But my case is actually more of the exception than it is the norm here. And the problem is when you make a policy like overturning of Roe v. Wade, it makes those situations only that much worse, even for wanted pregnancies. And I, I just, um, yeah, there's there's really a whole lot to say about this. And there's a lot more work that employers can be doing to support parents, not even just mothers, but, you know, just having gendered policies like, you know, the mother can take off four weeks, mater four months maternity leave, but the fathers can take two weeks. It really puts the onus on who is responsible for childcare. And I know I'm getting a little bit off track here, but, um, you know, there there really is just a lot more involved than just, uh, you know, we've decided that we don't want this to affect, uh, you know, elective pregnancies. And, um, you know, from another personal standpoint, um, even though I'm not personally going to have any more children, and I will say we were very much, you know, leaning towards one and done, um, you know, even before all of this happened. But the minute that Roe v. Wade was overturned, I you know, that 5% chance went to zero because um, they say that uh, medically necessary abortions are uh, rare, but if they're so rare, then why do I know six women within my immediate circle that have had to have them? You know, do I really want to put my life at risk to have another? Um, and that's a, you know, a lot of decisions that get affected by policies like this. Um, so definitely. Uh, thank you for sharing um, your uh, input there, Erin. Um, uh, so, I, as I understand it, um, what you the, what you were saying was that there has been kind of uh, an inadequate addressal of, from a company's perspective, uh, with regards to women's needs, um, particularly mothers and, and what have you, within uh, the corporate culture in the US. Um, and this overturning of the 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 the, the law. Um, has exacerbated all of those things um, yes. and kind of made a, a kind of a, a, a raw point even even more acute because you know it's it's, it's a pretty tough signal to take, isn't it? Um, uh, where you have what seems to be a, a, a regressive um, uh, move uh, like this. Um, so, folks, I hope you've, you, you you're getting some value from listening to how you know this has affected people at um, uh, in the US. Um, Brittany, I go to you on this um, uh, uh, sort of idea of what the company should be doing um, in these circumstances. Is there anything 
that companies can be doing? Or do you think that, I mean, obviously there is, but is it the company's responsibility to do it when the state maybe should be doing more? I mean, how would, how would you kind of coach a company that wants to do the right thing but doesn't know where to draw the line? Yeah, so I'm going to answer this question from the perspective of being a Black woman in Texas. So you can do with that as you will. Um, I think that a, a company's responsibility is not necessarily to um, make life better for its respective employees, but it certainly should not make their experiences in the workplace or their lives worse. And so one of the things that I often say is that there are too many times where conversations are happening at the boardroom level without input from those people who are in the break room. And so I think the first thing that needs to happen is a lot of people say, you know, you have to hit the ground running. You got to hit the ground doing all of these things. And I had a conversation yesterday with someone who said something that was the most transformative description of leadership that I've ever heard. And that was leaders need to hit the ground listening, not running, not making, trying to make impact, but listening to their employees really become um, comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. Listen, Sherm did a study recently that said 60% of employers were confused about what they should do when this ruling came out. Furthermore, or they were concerned about the ruling. And then 40% of those, those people had no idea what to do. And so I think there needs to be a conversation around, hey, this is new for all of us. We are going to prioritize our employee experience and not just the time that comes when, when employee engagement surveys come out, but we're going to be thoughtful about how this impacts you. And when you think about inclusive excellence, I want to highlight what Pavel said about this sentiment around perhaps men are not as satisfied, you know, with companies who made this statement. You have to then address the ideas of reverse racism. If you want to talk about inclusion, you also have to talk about exclusion, right? And so it is endemic to the United States. It is endemic to this, this world, this culture that creates, when you are addressing issues from one for one group, there is this perception that another group is, is being left out. And I think companies need to do a better job of speaking to how a, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? We rise together. Um, and so I think that is something that really critically needs to happen. I will say, most often, candidates are, are acutely aware, employees are acutely aware of when there's a canned response from the communications team that came out, or when an executive is having a really heartfelt conversation saying, hey, I am going to lead you and I may get it wrong, but I'm going to lead you with integrity and, and honoring our values that are not just displayed on the wall, but that are what we live. Really, really interesting and, and, and inspiring to hear you say those things, um, Brittany. Um, one of the key th th sort of insights I'm learning here is that the um, uh, the need to kind of include affected communities within the decision making is probably the first thing that companies need to do. Um, yes. So there needs to almost like I'm just imagining now if you're um uh at sea level you need to be thinking about look if the external environment changes have a think about who is affected most and then have a protocol to immediately bring uh, those people into the conversation before any like policy rollout uh, or any changes happen um and again this this feels like okay um uh, it's hard to predict when the next crisis might be for instance but in in cases of law actually there is predictive because you know these things don't happen instantly um those those are a prolonged debate as i understood it um for many months probably even years before these things get overturned at this, at this level so companies need to have preparation in advance um to be able to to, to uh 
to immediately kind of get the affected communities involved in the dialogue. Um, but I wonder how many companies actually do that. Folks, um, it, let me know in the comments um, uh, below there. I mean, do you think your company has put into place uh, some sort of, you know, um, some sort of way to instantly surge uh, the inclusion, if you like? Let's accept that, you know, people are not included at an equal level at every level. Um, but is there a policy in your business to say, right, this thing might be affecting this demographic of people. We need to have an action plan immediately off the deployable um, to uh, bring those people into play. Let me know if you know whether this thing exists. I probably think, it, I suspect it probably doesn't. Um, okay, let's open up a conversation to the wider, sort of to everyone in the panel here. Um, what would you say would be a reasonable position for a company, uh, a reasonable steps for a company to take if they were sort of uh, 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 found themselves in a position like this, if we, if we could imagine back, because this, this, this ruling occurred, I think several months or so ago, so I'm sure there's been a lot of backfilling activities of this type. Um, but what would a great response have been had there been some, <clears throat> excuse me, pre-planning um, in advance of, uh, of, of this ruling being, uh, you know, uh, confirmed? Um, do you have any thoughts on on what that should be? Uh, and I specifically, this is to uh, uh, Brittany, Pavel, uh, Brittany, uh, Erin, and Mary Kay. Um, I can go first. I think um, if companies are listening to the people who are really the most impacted by these changes, then um, they make policy adjustments based on that, and they also have a communication strategy. That, in, that impacts all employees, right? So if they know that there's going to be, um, you know, men, for example, who are disappointed um, and think that the company is going in the wrong direction with this kind of a policy change, then, you know, really listening, as Brittany said, would at least allow those employers to understand where some of the resistance or negative feelings might be coming from and, and address it. I think the... Um, the stuff that I see a lot of companies taking even quietly, maybe not even in a press release kind of way, is adding travel benefits to their medical plans so that employees who have to travel outside of these states in order to get appropriate medical care can do that and not have to, um, you know, struggle to cover the costs, um, allowing time off to go and get appropriate medical care because you have to travel outside of your home state is another simple step that employers can take. And these are not huge expensive changes because the actual percentage of employees who have to access these kind of benefits is relatively small. Um, one of the things that my company has done is, is also implement a LGBTQIA um, resource guide for how to access benefits. Um, and so it's it's not just addressing the, the Dobbs decision, but it's also addressing things that um, impact, um, for example, our transgender associates who um, are, you know, seeing a lot of really draconian laws passed that are blocking them from getting appropriate care or getting their children appropriate care in their home states. I think you yeah, thank you, America. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Brittany. Sorry. I was going to say, um, Mary, Mary, I think you bring up really good points to address the, the, the layers of complexity that you're going to see with any ruling. And I think there has to be this um, analysis. When you think about talent intelligence and my favorite definition, and I don't know who said it is, 
the application of science to the art of people management. So how do we historically look at data for historically marginalized communities, whether that's LGBTQ+, whether that's women, whether it's based on race and ethnicity, faith, age equity, how do we look at those communities who have historically been most marginalized to prepare for things like this? I think where we miss it often is really being reactive. So there's the comms team getting together to make a statement because this ruling has come out and employees can sense that, right? And so how do we move organizations to being purposely proactive? Number one, you have to look at the data. You have to look at what communities have been historically marginalized overall to address things like this. I say this as someone who um, was a, uh, a victim of dating violence and sexual violence, right? And so I think about the implications that would have had on me as a Black woman in Texas, right? So my the, the multiple layers of my identity would have made it more difficult than someone else who may not have looked like me or who, who may not have lived in Texas. And I love your call out to, there has to not only be a policy that, okay, you can travel across the states and we will help with that, but also think about PTO. Um, one of the things that I encourage my clients to do is you need to have a, a culture cultivator in residence. So when things like this are happening to, uh, in the world and they are affecting your employees, you're not just bringing in a therapist off the street. We all know how sensitive that relationship is, but you have someone who's familiar with your culture, who understands your organizational goals, and who can not only help guide you, but can guide employees through difficult times. When, when this ruling came out, you know, there were so many people who were concerned, whether they were LGBTQ, whether they were Black, whether they were, you know, whatever, whether they were Brown or from a historically marginalized community to say, how will this impact me? And when you have someone on staff who is not just deployed in the crisis, but is, who is helping to cultivate your culture at every step, then you are going to see organizations be more successful and curate workplaces where um, employees are more invested and they have more uh, faith in their leaders. Um, really powerful part of comments uh, here from Brittany. Um, again, just as a quick uh, uh, attempt to summarize, um, uh, we're talking about um, it, moving away from this reactive position, um, which it, it always looks a little bit distasteful, doesn't it? It, it, it because it's, it's, it's we're very familiar with how that looks when it's uh, you know a really a scrambling effort. Um, to uh, have a uh, to try and like plaster put, put a plaster on a problem uh, that you either didn't respect was there or you know didn't didn't have the uh, uh, even thought process that might might be an issue. So um, have some preparation and invest uh, sort of in 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 these types of supports. I like I particularly like the idea of um, having maybe somebody on staff or someone on hand um, that might have expertise in psychology, let's say, or counseling or whatnot, whatever it might be, uh, to uh, be able to support um, uh, employees that might have uh, immediately uh, a, a problem um, uh, that needs to be supported there. So um, again, I wonder how many companies have, have done this. I would imagine very, very few. Um, and, uh, and, and again, an opportunity perhaps uh, for, uh, for us to have a, uh, to elevate that conversation uh for the forward um folks um we um want to just do a quick pause at this moment um just keeping an eye on the time um we want to obviously continue this conversation i think it's obviously important that we continue to do this um however we um we do come off air in about 15 minutes or so um so i want to make sure that everyone who is interested 
passionate about this topic or perhaps uh, you know feel as if they want to get more information or want to provide more support um, uh, now is a good time for us to kind of get closer together as community um, and you can do that uh, by connecting with people who are paying attention to this conversation um, people who registered on the show are interested in it you can be sure that the individuals that you might connect with afterwards share that kind of interest. So uh, take a moment, folks, just put your LinkedIn URL in the chat stream on Crowdcast um, and just connect with everyone uh, who has done the same. Um, and you can do that on, link on LinkedIn as well. Um, just do that on the comment thread and, and just connect, of course, with all of our panelists, but also with other people who are uh, contributing their links um, into the chat. Okay, it looks like people are doing this, which is uh, which is great stuff. Um, let's talk about um, the um, okay. Let's gra grasp this nettle. Okay, um, uh, you have a company that's located in a certain uh, sort of uh, um, state. Um, should, should, is it reasonable to say they should relocate? Um, is it reasonable to say, um, you know, you should, you know, slowly start moving your jobs into a different place that you, you know, that aligns with your values? Or do you think that that is, you know, it, what are your thoughts on that or, or on that, uh, folks? Um, and Pavel, I'll introduce, sort of uh, welcome your input on this as, as, as an outsider. I'd be interested to get your views as well. So um, uh, anyone to go first on this, um, you know, company location? Um, go ahead. Yeah, so... The problem with moving everything out of these states where um, these trigger laws have gone into effect is that there's always going to be those that can't afford to relocate. And then they're left behind with fewer allies near them and fewer resources to actually serve them. The one industry that comes uh, to mind in particular is the healthcare industry. Doctors are fleeing Texas right now because of the laws that they have in place. Um, they, they've even created vigilante laws where you can turn someone in for attempting to have an abortion or attempting to leave the state to have them. And a lot of doctors are afraid of losing their licenses if they don't perform abortions in accordance with the state's laws, which, you know, limit them to being a time frame that's almost impossible to meet. So we're losing healthcare professionals. And, you know, what's left for the people that are left behind? Um, you know, that's that's the problem with relocating. Is is there an ethical issue to that? Really important point, Erin. I didn't even think about that. Um, uh, but of course, it, and it just goes to show that a lot of ethical uh, situations are, are complex because we can't quite assess, um, you know, who is impacted. We can't quite uh, anticipate what, what that may be. And there may be differential sort of uh, uh, consequences um, that are of intention um, that actually go opposite to what we want. I didn't even think easy also about the the particular case for medical professionals that might suddenly be, you know, having their 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 rules changed and whether what they were doing before is now okay to do as according to the law. Um, uh, you know, that may change, and that that obviously is very very difficult for people who um, you know, have these views and therefore might rightly want to relocate. Um, and what does that do, as you say, Aaron, in terms of the uh, the, the health service for the people uh, left behind? Um, yeah, and it's not just abortion doctors either. Um, a lot of people might not be aware of this, but Amy Coney Barrett, who is one of the Supreme Court justices, in the past has been part of an anti-choice group that is actually against in vitro fertilization. And they have uh, vocally expressed that they would like to see that be made illegal too. 
because they believe that disposal of frozen embryos is akin to an abortion. So I'm sure that fertility doctors are also bracing for legislation in that area as well. And some people may say, oh, well, that will never happen. That's extreme. There's a lot of things that have happened in the last year that I never had on my bingo card for 2023. So at this point, it may sound outlandish, but, you know, that's that's something that I've personally been concerned about. You know, I had to go through IVF myself. If, you know, if a lot of extreme legislation is suddenly passed, are they going to force me to use the leftover embryos that I have um, or charge me for, you know, choosing to dispose of them? I, I don't know. Um, so this goes far and wide ranging within healthcare beyond just abortion healthcare. Go ahead, uh, Brittany. I was going to see uh, say I think it also makes the case what we saw with Dobbs v. Jackson is the precedent that was set to overturn precedents, and so you open up this can of worms. So I don't think the the solution is do we do we sure you can think about your location planning strategy right and where you're going to be future state but i don't think from a cost effectiveness perspective or from a problem solving perspective it is we pick up our headquarters and we move i think it's more about cultivating a culture that says to the employees hey we understand that we are in an ever-changing climate and what we can promise you is that we will be thoughtful we will be intentional we will use data to drive decision making for our most um, historically marginalized communities to ensure that here, now we can't control what happens when you leave here, but here you are safe, you are valued, and you are in a place who respects um, the different layers of your identity. And so I think that 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 idea of how do we solve this is something that we have to continue to think about. Because when that happened, and, and now we've opened up a can of worms that precedent can be overturned, um, we just have to commit to a culture and commit as a leadership team to say we are going to do our very best effort to ensure our employees are safe uh, at work and that we facilitate well-being for them holistically. Cool. Um, go ahead. I just add that um, you know I think the all of the calculations from well, where do you locate your business? Where do you expand? Um, you know, what do you do with, with regard to some of these things? Requires a lot of really long-range thinking and. To um, Aaron and Brittany's point on overturning precedent, we're um, long-term thinking. It's very difficult when you're in such an unstable, uncertain time, and um, that's part of what is making women so frightened. Um, it's part of what is making them so angry um, that we're just not sure what's going to be next. What is the next? Uh, what, what are the next rights? be taken away where would you where are we moving backwards on something else yeah and and i think that's actually i mean you can sense that sort of um, persistent ambient animosity mm -hmm. if you like or animal uh, sort of uh, threat is probably yeah. an accurate word even um and that's got to be very very difficult to, you know think about how, how that impacts your mental health think about how that impacts your your job performance your social relationships whatever it might be it's just this overall depressing effect uh onto yeah. uh you know a large percentage of the population the, um, i'm sorry one more point um the other the other thing we haven't discussed today, but is is a really important factor to add to all of this, is we are falling off a cliff in terms of childcare availability in this country and childcare affordability. Um, unfortunately, um, after the pandemic, 
um, we've seen a real crisis in that area and, and it's getting um, really, really severe. I've had uh, people on my team who are returning from maternity leave later than they planned because they literally couldn't find childcare. Um, and so it is a huge crisis and that crisis is largely dealt with by female employees. Yep. Um, I think that is that is certainly an international problem as well. Um, uh, Childcare costs, uh, although I think particularly acute actually in the US, but um, uh, mm -hmm. childcare costs are so so high that the, the it gets to the point where it doesn't make um, a, com a sort of commercial sense, if you like, for a lot of women to actually return to work because th the money is actually going to uh, another person um, because you've got to pay uh, someone to look after the, the, the child. So these yeah. are very, very difficult um, uh, uh, issues. And I'm sorry that we have to, um, you know, that we have to have members of our community uh, sort of subjected to them um, uh, and I really hope um, that uh, we can work together to uh, do our best um, to protect the rights that we have and you know uh, uh, re-extend them to where they, they, they should be. Um, a quick um, sort of thing we need to move on to as, a, as advice for companies that are in situations let's say we imagine a scenario where a company is in one of these trigger states um, they are experiencing uh, negative um, uh, backlash in terms of you know job seekers are, are not uh, applying at the same rate to the jobs that uh, they previously had. Um, uh, what are the sort of uh, uh, sort of steps they could take um, to um, address um, the uh, to, to do that recruiting job sale? Um, any thoughts uh, on on that issue? I think it depends on the economic climate at the time, because depending on how badly someone needs a job, there's certain values that they may or may not compromise to work for a certain company. Let's be honest. That's a really good point. Folks, have a look at the poll on the uh, right hand side of the uh the chat bar there i think it deals specifically with this how does the politics of your state or region impact your decision making when it comes to looking for work for instance um and i think well, i think you're right erin practicalities obviously have to take uh the, the the top position it is a position of privilege to actually say you know have an absolutist position because there's a lot of individuals that actually you know they need to feed their families um and when you're in that situation uh, then of course that's got to be the number one priority but they're the results of the uh, the poll for people to to review um uh, going to um, mary Kay and Brittany, uh, as, as kind of final words is here what should companies be doing if they find themselves in 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 a scenario where okay i'm in this conservative state let's say um that's rolling back these rights um uh, what can they do the company certainly is um against these changes and they, they want to support so let's presume that is their baseline position what can um the uh, recruiter practically do or recommend their company do to uh, address some of these problems I think that um, for companies like mine, where a great deal of our workforce um, is female and we are in the healthcare industry, um, it is having responsive benefit plans that um, you know do create access and equity for people. Um, I loved what Brittany said about you know hitting the ground listening that you got have to stay in dialogue with your associates and make sure that you are incorporating feedback constantly into your 
companies and your practices and what are you doing to be responsive? So that otherwise people aren't gonna feel any sense of security in these really kind of tumultuous, tumultuous times. I would add, um, so I am a millennial Gen Y, W-H-Y is what I always say. And I think that we are seeing a trend where employee, uh, employees, potential job candidates, they want to understand and they want to know, and they're going to start asking hard questions. And so I'll answer your questions from two, your question from two lenses. Number one, I'll speak to recruiters. As a former recruiter, I was gathering candidate sentiment. I was doing candidate listening and being very thoughtful about collating the data for various roles, for various geographic locations, job levels to say, this is what we're hearing in the market and taking it back to your team leader, back to HR to say, this is what we're directly getting from candidates. And this is what they're saying about our competitors who are addressing this in X, Y, Z way. So I think that's a really easy thing that recruiters can do. Start collating data, whether or not it's in your remit to do so and take it back to your senior leaders. The other part that I would say for, for leaders, um, and I'll just make a Kraft Times reference here, I don't think that you can, um, I would always say you can't read the label from inside the mac and cheese box. And so to the point about Sherm uncovering that 60% of employers were concerned and 40% said they didn't know what to do to address this. Sometimes it mandates bringing in experts who have kind of this higher level thinking and who can build out modalities and process improvements to help you navigate the nuances of cultural change. It just is what it is. And I think many organizations will see the cost benefits um, and, the, and the benefits to attracting hiring, hiring and retaining top talent when they bring in experts who understand data, who understand the changing landscape of the law, and who understand a global perspective to not only diversity, equity, and inclusion, but a global workforce. Yeah, thank you very much, Brittany. And thank you, Erin and Mary Kay, also for your um, uh, very uh, powerful observations. Um, we have to bring it to a close here. This, of course, is a um, a, a situation that is ongoing, um, and it's very important for us not to just box this off and say, right, um, you know, that's the end of that conversation. Uh, make sure that you uh, keep yourself aware as to uh, what these laws might be and make sure that you continue to support uh, your workforce, particularly your female workforce, um, and understand sort of the impact you as a recruiter has uh, when you're, you're representing your organization to the wider marketplace um, and dealing with the demographics that are so affected. Um, so uh, thank you so much for watching, everybody. Um, thank you to our wonderful panelists, uh, Mary Kay Baldino, uh, Aaron Matthew, uh, Brittany King. Uh, Pavel, thank you so much also for, do, for your initiative and in pulling this research out um, and, and making it available for people to review. Um, again, I'll send that research to people uh, who are watching the show. I highly recommend uh, that other people uh, uh, access this day uh, this research and also share it around as well um because it's very difficult to um uh, uh it, it's not difficult what's what i'm looking for here it is very powerful um to get um objective data like this um to support the argument that can sometimes get really emotive um so this is a really useful tool if you're struggling to have a conversation uh that's not landing for whatever reason the way it needs to land um okay that's it everybody uh thank you to our guests um hopefully everyone will have a very good weekend uh Brittany king uh emily uh sorry erin matthew america baldino um and pavel adrian thank you so much for joining us 
Um, everybody else, thank you for joining the show. Um, we'll be back next week. Um, of course, we are talking about um, another important issue. Um, we are going to be talking about recruiter fraud, everybody. Um, that's right. Um, are you thinking that one of your remote colleagues might in fact be double working, overworking, taking more than one salary. Um, this is an urban myth that is actually true. Um, it is happening. Um, and perhaps it's a bigger problem than we might realize. Um, we're going to bring in a lot of guests that think they've had this situation um, and we're going to learn from them how they spotted it and how they're going to address it. Um, so make sure you follow the channel if you're interested in that uh, and the conversations of this type. Uh, thank you all for watching. Um, and we will be back, normal programming next week. I'll be back in the UK. It's going to be uh, coming out at 2 p.m. Uh, British summertime. Uh, thank you all for watching, everybody.